Good afternoon, everybody. And this is a really special edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Why is it special? Well, for so many reasons. One reason is you usually hear me say good morning. But today we have an afternoon podcast going on because this amazing, wonderful woman was kind enough to let me reschedule because my cat got sick. So when we were supposed to podcast earlier on, she was like, I totally understand. Go, go cure your cat. And so that for that, I'm super grateful. Uh, most of the people who listen to this podcast know this woman as if she's been in their lives all of their lives. Um, but for those of you who don't, you're going to love getting to know her. So Olivia Vizacaro, welcome to the show. Did I say that right? Close. Vizacaro. Vizacaro. See, I keep trying to say well, I'm not even going to say it. Oh, do it. You have to now. You have to. No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't do Detroit proud, and I don't do Rome proud when I butcher your name. So Olivia <laughs> Vizacaro nailed it perfectly. Being Italian, I would have said Vizacero or Vizacero, depending. And she said, "No, I'm in Detroit, not Rome." So Vizacero. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the show. People know you as the less stressed lawyer, which I'm like, hmm, is that a thing? I don't know. I think she's lying. I'm not. I promise it is a thing. <laughs> I love watching you on LinkedIn and reading your posts. You're remarkable. You do give amazing advice. And I think that you, um, I don't know, you're like the magic person on LinkedIn. You give such great tips and you know, little things that mean a lot. So let's get into this. Let's get into this. How, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you get to where you are today? Who are you? Who am I? Uh, well, I'm also a cat owner. Let's start there. Let's talk about the really Aww, important things. Thank first. you. Um, so I'm glad your kitty is doing better. Um, yeah. I have two of my own. They're the loves of my life. I tell everyone. So aside from being a cat mom to Snickers and Bear, uh, I am a certified life coach for lawyers. I'm also a lawyer uh, myself, although I rarely practice anymore. Uh, but the war and peace version of it all started <laughs> when I know we could be here for a month. Um, and I would it, love every minute, to be honest. <laughs> you're like me then. I love talking to people. It's my favorite thing. It's probably what makes me a great coach. Um, but the war and peace version is that I got a idea in my head when I was eight years old, that I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney for the Italian mob and wow. made the decision that I was going to go to law school in order to defend them. I basically wanted to be Tom Hagen before I knew who Tom Hagen was. You rock. And really followed that. Never questioned that plan, uh, all through undergrad, law school, got to law school, started doing criminal defense work. I went to school at night because I had the crazy idea of buying a house when I was 20 years old. So not working was never an option. And, and, and I started doing criminal defense work and truly fell in love with it. Like found my passion, felt like I was right at home, found a firm that I loved, just a small criminal defense boutique firm in Detroit that did high stakes felony trial work. It was basically like winning the Super Bowl. And I felt like the trial work that we did, it felt like playing in the Super Bowl every day. So wait, I have to ask you, did you end up being somebody's, you know, conciliating? 
right? You said that so beautifully. Thank you for not butchering that. Everyone my my family, we have a lot to talk about. I won't get into it, but my family's from Palermo. Oh, good. <laughs> You're more but legit tell me, than me. You then. lived your dream, eh? Yeah. So funny. Yeah. Um, so did I end up being someone's consigliere? Uh, no, probably not. Although I had this epiphany this morning. I was like, you know, you're more of a trusted advisor now than you ever were when you were a lawyer. I was like, you finally, I kid, I kid you not. I had this realization this morning while doing my makeup, getting ready in the mirror. I was like, you're basically people's Tom, Tom Hagen now. So that's nice. Everybody needs a Tom Hagen. Everyone does need a Tom Hagen, it, right? Look, folks, if you don't know you need a Tom Hagen, you probably need a Tom Hagen more than most people. For sure. So I, to the long story or the long answer uh, way around it is, uh, yes, I eventually did. I just not, not as an attorney, but as a life coach to lawyers. Nice. Uh, I have finally become someone's trusted advisor, their consigliere. So I worked in the firm. I was an evening student and I worked full time and then some. Uh, I inherited some really horrific workaholic tendencies from my father and yeah. doubled down on them through undergrad and, and law school. I worked a ton. Sometimes I worked three jobs. Sometimes I worked one, but a lot of hours just at one. So I really started that bad habit while I was in law school. And although I was so having the time of my life, but what I came to learn while I was working at this small boutique firm, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, is that just because someone's a great attorney doesn't necessarily mean they're a great business person. Oh, yeah. I would venture to say and be so bold as to say that most great attorneys are not great business people. I would I would co-sign that statement with yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that was a huge wake-up call for me because I didn't know that going in. And I come from a long line of business owners and entrepreneurs who uh, I'm fortunate and very proud to say have done a very good job of it. Awesome. Uh, my, my dad is successful and he runs a well-oiled machine. He, nothing, you know, like the legal industry, he runs a collision shop um, from, we're from the Motor City. So my family owns businesses involving the automotive industry and uh, car repair and aftermarket services. But all of my uncles and my grandfather own different businesses and I've really grown up and seen great examples of what successful, well, well-run, functioning, uh, profitable businesses look like, how it's done. I can see a book out of that. That's like, you know, so many lessons learned from that, you know, and well-oiled machine is a great analogy. I mean, totally, especially being in the Motor City. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So those life lessons from family businesses are, um, you know, you never want those to die down, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you do for a living. You want those life lessons to be passed on. That's incredible. So true. So I, this was a, I was really kind of, you know, in shock that not every business <laughs> was run really successfully or efficiently, especially, you know, something more professional and was confronted with that hard truth that not all great attorneys are great business people. 
and started to see, I was really involved in the day-to-day -day operations, even as a law clerk, which sounds a little crazy, but I really prided myself as being an all hands on deck, Jill of all trades kind of gal and worked as the managing partner's right-hand person. So when nice. different, th different things came up that were out of my technical job description, I would jump in. So I had run a personal assistant business in a previous life and knew how to do QuickBooks so I could fix issues with that. So I became pretty ingrained, but as part of that, really got to see behind the scenes and understand that there were some uh, administrative issues and business management issues that were going on there. And it led to cash flow problems, just money insecurity uh, across the board. And as a single, you know, young woman getting ready to embark on her career was really confronted with, you know, the question, do I want to be at a place where my paycheck's not guaranteed? Right, right. Um, you know, did I always get paid eventually? Yes. But the money insecurity was really, really a cause of a lot of consternation, stress, you know, worry for me. And that was definitely echoed by the people around me that, you know, I confided in about that situation. My parents being those people specifically for me. Sure. And sure. of course they don't want their daughter having to deal with that. They want what every parent wants security <laughs> and no worry and all predictability. of predictability. Yeah. Predictability for yeah. sure. So I can't fault them at all with that. And we started to have conversations about it. And when all of this was really going on, I was at the point in my law school career as an evening student where I was coming up on my last chance to go out for on-campus interviews. And I had kind of had an idea of what big law was or what like life at a larger firm would look like. I really didn't understand anything about what transactional law was. I used to have an arrogant perspective that transactional attorneys should probably have just been real estate agents. I have not. <laughs> look, whoosh. <laughs> Let me get some sound effects. <laughs> I, I don't think, spent, yeah, look, I've heard something similar, but I'm not going to say from whom. <laughs> I have since changed my tune and come, you know, done a complete 180. Uh, but I was really just of that mindset of like, if you're not Tom Cruise and a few good men in a courtroom, like yeah. that's what lawyering is. Nothing else counts. Well, I'll tell you, you're not alone. Those words said every litigator ever. So... <laughs> You know, I hear yeah. you. So from, I really also kind of had a vague idea about what civil litigation was, but I really didn't know. I mean, my whole, my whole focus had always been criminal defense. I'd worked at the prosecutor's office for, for a while while I was an undergrad and just my whole construction of what it meant to lawyer was focused on the criminal realm. So I decided that I, I really wasn't that interested in, in working at a firm, not doing criminal defense. And most of what I was learning at the time was that bigger firms didn't do criminal defense the way that I wanted to. If they did white collar, that was one right. thing, but most of them didn't even do that. And I learned that I like blue collar crime, if, if I have to Oh, pick. how great. There's a great book. <laughs> wow. You are something. You've got moxie. You've got grit. You've got story upon story inside of you ready to be told. <laughs> so blue collar crime would be my favorite. 
Awesome. Um, if, if it's, if it's up to me to do the choosing. So I kind of started to, this is the part of the story where I kind of started to lie to myself on like what I want, what I was going to do, where I was going to go from there. And in hindsight, I just see it as like, I started to go down this path, knowing my mindset at the time, knowing how much I was a people pleaser, knowing how much other people's opinions mattered to me and how I used that to inform my own decision-making. At that point, I can see it was like all predestined. Of course, if I got an offer, I was going to make the decision. But at the time I kind of took one step after another telling myself, oh, well, you can make up your mind you know, when the time comes, you can make up your mind when the time comes. And ultimately the time did come. I, I got an offer to go, go to big law and I ended up saying yes to it. Um, probably to you no almost help. can't I, say no. That's how I felt. I felt yeah. like I couldn't say no. Yeah. It, in hindsight, especially as a coach now, I'm like, oh, you totally could have said no. Absolutely well, you're you older and no. wiser and you know, you've got more chutzpah or maybe yeah. I don't know, but I don't know any younger person who would say no. It's so hard. And I'm so grateful that I didn't because it led me on this path sure. that started a chain reaction that led me to find coaching. Uh, so I, I'm just so, so beyond grateful for that. But yes, at the time saying no was impossible. So I left the firm that I had been at. I decided to accept a summer associate position and ultimately a full-time position and then once I was there, started to face the music, as they say, uh, and was confronted with the fact that I had made this choice that for me felt really out of integrity against my true desires, the, you know, my internal desires, kind of the plan that I had set out for myself from a, obviously a very young age. And I had to contend with that. And during my time, I was in big law for a couple of years, but during my time there, I really started to dig deep to understand why in my gut, I knew it wasn't the right decision for me, but that I chose it anyways. Let me ask you a question about that because, um, uh, you know, somewhere along my history, there's a little bit of similarity there. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what did your parents or what did your dad say when you, if you shared with them the stress of working in big law after having all that hemming and hawing about, should I take this? Should I do this? I'm going to do it. I did it. Yeah. I'd say both of my parents, even my dad's a little bit more silent about it, but my, my mom wasn't, uh, for a long time. And I got this from friends too, but everyone really just had the opinion of, well, you make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really good job. You should just be grateful. And yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure to feel grateful, but it really like the pressure to feel grateful just makes you feel super resentful. And then you're kind of forced to lie to yourself a little bit. Like, right. oh, I, and then there's a little bit of shame involved there too. Correct. I should feel grateful, but I don't, this I don't feel sucks. grateful at all. Yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> exactly. The world is worth my, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, wow, and this is such a great story for others. Um, yeah. Living, early living. stages. And I always like to point this out in the early stages. I'd love to just like fast forward to the part of this where I realize I'm the cause of all my own problems and I take full ownership of all of my decision-making and then start to make 
intentional decisions and choices in order to create the life that I want, which obviously I ultimately did. It's how I created this business. But in the early stages, I was really victimy and I was kind of steeping in a pool of blame, frustrated with those people in my life, frustrated with my parents for just not understanding that I had this dream and that this wasn't my dream and that the money didn't make me happy enough. And I had so many friends that were making way less than me that, you know, they were like, oh, I could never get a job there. You should be, I can't believe you're complaining about it. How can you not like it? You get the prestige, you get the money, all of the stuff. And so I was really, really in this state of victimhood. I felt like I had been forced. How to- old were you? I went there when I was 27. So your amygdala wasn't fully developed yet. So that's okay. Thank you. And it wasn't until I found a podcast. I always tell people a podcast episode changed my life. It wasn't until I stumbled upon a life coach's podcast that I was confronted with the cold, hard truth that we are, that our lives consist of the choices that we make and that everything we have or don't have in our lives is a result of a choice we've made and that I was continuing. Not only did I make one choice, but I was continuing to choose that life every single day. And that's like the analogy of when you realize you're hitting yourself, you you finally start to, you're the, when you're the one one hitting yourself, you finally start to stop. Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So at that point I was like, oh, oh, wait, you've got some stuff to unpack here. And that's when I really embarked on under understanding why I valued other people's opinions more than like my gut instinct and how to go about like flipping that switch. So I operate now from internal desire as opposed to external pressure. Have you ever had therapy? Is that too, too personal for me to ask? not too personal. I have not had traditional therapy. I have, however, um, done a lot of coaching myself, obviously as a client before becoming a coach, before Uh getting certified. I've also done hypnotherapy, rapid transformational therapy. I am, I am with you on that. That's, that's not that anyone's asking me what my checklist is, but that gets a check. (laughs) Yeah, that was incredibly powerful work that I did. And I am so grateful. I rave about my uh, rapid transformational therapist on every platform that I, that I can. I am so grateful. And I truly believe that had I not unpacked my issues around self-worth, my issues around risk tolerance or you know, the assumption of risk, as far as starting your own business, not being so obsessed with financial security or traditional security, as we know it, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today. You know, what's one of the things of the many things that's cool about you is that um, you're so courageous to just be, be who you are. And I know that one of the things you said you overcame or live your life overcoming is other people's opinions of you is none of your business, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You really seem good at that. It seems like you've gotten there. I mean, you're very good at being you, like that authentic self that everyone says they want to be or strives to be. 
uh, it looks like you've embraced it. I mean, I, I love that you're telling this story. I don't know a lot of lawyers who would be so courageous as to, um, and I know you're not practicing anymore, so you don't live under the fear of losing a client because of, because coaching clients want you to be yourself, Correct. right? Yeah. So, and the, and the lawyers who hire you wish they could be you, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, they're like, I wish I could be you, but I can't, my firm will fire me. Correct. Uh, but yeah, and even the people who fire people like you wish they could be you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had quite a number of one-on-ones in secret with managing partners who were like, if only I could, you know, um, not have to have, you know, talking points to stay in line, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think it's really great. You, you're a, a, an example of how you create your own reality. Thank you. I have really, I really like me. I like you too. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. I like you too. I yeah. do know. I don't know how, like, it will break my heart if I come to find, I'm just going to tell myself that people generally like themselves, but there's a, yeah, sneaking I was just going to say, I have this sneaking suspicion in my heart of hearts that that's not true. I really love me. I love past versions of me. I love present me. I love future me in all our different, different seasons and yeah, yeah, variations. I am so grateful for all the wrong steps that I've taken that led me to where I am. I like my quirks. I like me. And what do you do about people? Now we're getting really, so this is beyond the normal podcast that I host and I love it. Like, right. You know, so you're willing to peel back, as they say, the layers. Let's we're talk gonna, about it all. We're gonna totally, <laughs> yeah, we are. We're gonna get real, real talk right here. Um, a lot of people can't handle people like you and me who really like. Now, I'll be honest. Only in the last three years have I come across a self that I didn't know existed because I've never experienced the stress that I've been through in the last three years. Okay. And it manifested itself in major, 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 major weight gain that I talk about incessantly. And I won't on this show, but I was like you loved all of me inside out, upside down. And people, some people hated that. They hate, they're like, she's so self-involved. So no, it's not self-love. You have to love For yourself sure. before you can love anyone else. But I noticed there's a new version of me that I'm not so keen on, um, but let's talk more about that, that fact that you love all of you in every version of you. How do people react to that? I or do you think, just attract the right people because of it or what? Yeah, I think my people who aren't my people or the people who aren't my people, I think yeah. they self-select out to a certain, I'm not worried about selling myself really at all on anyone. I'm gonna let people opt I believe in. that, yeah. And here's the thing though, people like people generally that are themselves. Yes. And I'm not, I'm never in their model or in their, in their thought line, uh, which is the models, the coaching tool I use. I'm never in their model about like, what, what are they thinking about me? Right. The truth is I'm never going to know. So I like picking thoughts that they're thinking that like delight me. I'm like, oh, they must, <laughs> think, that <I'm, laughs> they must think that I'm lovely or I'm a delight. I think I'm a delight. So you're very Helen Hunt. Remember so <laughs> mad about you? She used to be like, I'm very likable. I'm very lovable. Why wouldn't anyone like me? That's how I feel. And you 
should, you should. And that comes across even in social. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be too much for some people. I'm really okay with that. Girl, you just, you're like my sister from another mister. I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's totally I needed to embrace that. I needed to get to that point. And working in the legal industry, that's that's a tough because everyone becomes, I know I'm going to offend some people, but you know, it's okay. Everyone becomes someone they're not because they need to fit in yeah. in that world. They need to get in line. I felt like I was way too much when I worked in big law. Yeah. That I and just had- so much personality and I was so me and that and like no one said anything or did anything like that you know outward towards me that would even give you but I, you could just feel it did anyone give you talking points and tell you to kind of you know take it back a, a notch like no no one ever told me to dial it back dial it back don't be you so much I've been told don't don't quite bring all of you to this don't day quite bring all of you I want you to bring all of you every time I'm around you I have a lawyer friend she's a an a, a assistant general counsel and we were talking on the phone last night and she said the thing that people love most about her is that she brings herself like all of her so she's not yeah. she's like you are and I am but then she said it was really odd when recently her, someone in her company brought her talking points and said that she should pr probably polish a little bit and not bring all of herself. Oh no, I, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the person who brought her those talking points needs you. Yeah. She doesn't need you, but the person who brought her- Correct. Those, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the person who brought her the talking points has some thoughts and feelings that they need to work through with a coach about their expectations of other people. And they probably feel disappointed a lot. Right. And real life just isn't scripted, right? Oh, no. So. no. And thank goodness. Yeah. Wow. We have totally gone um, beautifully off topic. I love it. <laughs> this has been a great journey, uh, a little uh, detour, if you will. Um, well, I don't want to get to anything dry and boring. Let's keep talking. Let's keep going down the path you want to go down. Um, you're, you know, you clearly inspire others. You're definitely a mentor to others. Uh, was there someone outside of your parents? Because I know they, they are definitely, you know, they made a big impact on your life. Has there been someone else who's been a, an inspiration to you? It was really close with my grandfather. Oh, nice. Uh, on my dad's side, my Italian grandfather. And he, I, I spent a lot of time with him growing up. And I would say that part of my ability or comfortability in being myself comes from being around him. My mom is very charismatic and very personable. Is she Italian too? She's not. My mom's Scottish. Oh, interesting. Uh, and she always likes to remind me that I'm just as Scottish as I am Italian, even though I really lead with the Italian thing. <laughs> you do. I, I, I don't know much about the Scots, but I can tell you, I, I pick up the Italian in you. So I, I spent a ton of time growing up with my grandfather and he was this larger than life person, just truly magnificent life of the party good time, Charlie, like the person that would walk into the bar, buy the entire bar, a round of drinks, 
to give you just a little, you know, peek inside, we used to spend Saturdays together going to Eastern Market here in Detroit. It's a huge open air market where all the butchers are. We'd buy everything for Sunday dinner. And uh, we would go, he would call it, we'd do our traveling. So I'd get dropped off at his house really early. He'd have coffee, probably with a little Sambuca in it, if we're being really honest. And I was going to say probably. What? <laughs> okay, you definitely. With a little coffee in it. <laughs> All right. You, you know how this works. I do. <laughs> so we would, you know, get in the Cadillac and drive down to Easter Market. He would, it'd be crazy busy. And I still go on Saturdays, not during quarantines, but I still go during Saturdays, even though he's no longer with us. And he used to, you had to be there early in the morning. He would be disgusted with the time that I go now, but someone 20 bucks to move a pallet and he'd have like the best parking spot in all of Eastern market. And we'd make our stops. We'd get all the things for Sunday dinner, fresh produce, the whole nine, we'd go to lunch at this, the oldest Italian restaurant in Detroit, Roma Cafe. And then we would leave there. And on our way home, we'd stop. He was the police and fire commissioner for a long time in the suburb of uh, suburb outside of Detroit from where I'm from. And we would stop in this little corner bar and all the politicians from the town would be in there on Saturday afternoon, watching football, probably I was so young and he would sit me down in a booth and he would give me a hundred dollars worth of scratch off tickets, like $1 scratch off tickets. <laughs> I was like eight. Okay. This is very <laughs> eight was a pivotal age for me. You can tell he'd sit me down with a Coca-Cola, a hundred dollars worth of $1 scratch off tickets and a quarter. Busy, busy. <laughs> and he'd say, you get to keep whatever you win. Wow. So I was eight and I'd come home with like my pockets filled with 20s some days. Some days were good days. Some days, not so much. But I saw him entertain and I saw him be this personality and everyone loved him. It was always like people just lit up when Tony came into the room. And he was such an entertainer, such a larger than life person. And I spent so much time with him that that really became normal. I look back, I spent almost a decade bartending when I was uh, in my late teens, early to mid twenties. And it seems so intuitive or like obvious now that I would have done that from having grown up with him and just his charisma and his ability to engage and entertain people. And I really I credit so much of what I'm able to do today from learning how to kind of be on in front of people, but on yeah. in a really authentic way. Yeah. Should we edit those ages out? <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, no, you can serve alcohol when you're 18 here. Oh, really? Yeah. I, wow. I never drank. I never drank. Not once, Susan. Not once. Wow. That is so interesting. So, well, our stories are very, very, very similar, except for Tell that me. last thing you just said. I'm totally lying. My nose, my nose oh, just grew. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you just, you just, 
You just blew it there. We were right on. No, we're still right on. We're yeah. right on pace with uh, one another. I'm telling you, I had Uncle Angelo, you had Uncle Tony. So yeah, totally. I love you it. Had Grandpa Tony. So interesting. We have so, my God, like it, it's, it's almost like a, um, I don't know. I think that culture is so strong, you yes. know, all across the country. I mean, the Italians came in and, you know, in my case, they came from Palermo, landed in New Orleans and, um, you know, the rest is history. But interesting. I would love to have another conversation, many, many more conversations with you. And I know a lot of people in my life, lawyers and as they call the rest of us non-lawyers, who would benefit from your courage and your openness and your authenticity and your humor um, and the way you are not ashamed to say, you know, I create my own reality, good and bad, you know, life is comprised of the choices we make. Um, let me ask you this, uh, a segue, you've had a really great career, you're obviously really good at what you do, you attract uh, a really, I think, great tribe. I mean, I watch you on social, you can't just pass you up like you know when I'm scrolling through the feed I have to stop after me it's Thank like you. it's like a moth to a flame I'm like oh <laughs> what's she saying now I gotta read this but I'm in a hurry I gotta go I don't have time but I can't help it you I know um I could learn something here so um tell me a little bit of all that you've done is this or maybe you know what is your proudest professional accomplishment mm. Hands down, building this business. Nice. nice. I I can go like from. I'll get choked up just talking about it. Uh, I I just drove up north right after the first of the year uh, to visit a girlfriend of mine and her husband. Um, they're kind of in my COVID pod, so to speak. Yeah. And they have a place up north that we've been going to a couple times throughout the year because you can't really go anywhere else. And I don't know if it was, you know, the new year or what, but I was driving back home and on a Sunday and I was, I had a call planned. I do a call, um, real informal on Sunday nights and we go through what worked, what didn't work and what we'll do differently into the next week, just to live a little bit more intentionally. And, you know, kind of, we come together as a community. It's they're fun. They're really informal calls. And I was doing one for the uh, end of the year. So normally we assess the prior week and talk about the week going forward. This time, because it was the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I wanted to do what worked for the year, what didn't work for the year, and what we'll do differently in 2021. And huh. I really, I really, I just start like burst into like the happiest tears on my drive home. And I am just beyond proud of myself on my determination and just sheer willpower, quite frankly, to build, to build a business, to build a successful business during a pandemic. And I cannot understate enough that I left my last firm. So I left big law and then I went back to the criminal defense firm for a short stint. I left there with no game plan, no runway, no savings, no, none of the ways that you're supposed to do it on paper. I just went for it. And I said, I will never have 
the security that I want working for anyone else. I will never have the success that I want working for anyone else. I will never have the control I want working for anyone else. I said more than anything else I want, I want to be self-employed. I trust me and I don't care how long I have to struggle to make this work. I will make it work. Took quitting off the table, decided to go all in on me. I struggled for a while. Don't let me make this sound like it was rainbows, daisies, and sunshine, but I went to work and I created something that I know will continue to grow. I'm beyond proud of what I've been able to create thus far. And I'm really, really fired up for what's going to come next. That is awesome. That is awesome. And I know when people who have that special gift inside work for others, it's difficult. It's like you're not being true to yourself. Um, I am a solopreneur. I mean, I have a business partner in one of my companies. I have two companies, but one of them, I have a business partner. But I can never go back to the machine. Yeah. Um, you called it something earlier. You said it was not a well-oiled machine like what you were used to. Um, and you were talking about law firms. And I think mm -hmm. I, this image popped into my head about how they operate and can they even be managed I don't believe they can simply because of the nature of, you know, some of the brilliant high powered people that run their own little fiefdoms inside. Mm -hmm. so the image that pops in my head is jagged edges. That's what I always think of jagged edges. Whereas when you think of a well-oiled machine, the parts fit together and they yes. maneuver and every, but jagged edges, you know, it's constant gouging and blood. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. It works, but ouch. Oh my God. Not just friction. It's like painful, painful <laughs> friction. Exactly. Yeah. It's one thing to have tension and friction, but it's like, you know, torturous, <laughs> you know, like something from medieval ages. Um, but yeah, well, let me ask you this. You've told me a lot of surprising things about you. Um, I, spend my life every waking moment lifting other women amplifying voices learning new things about them um to asking them encouraging them and teaching them how to share and tell their own stories um, what could you share with us that maybe women can do to help other women in business so one is really one's really practical and then one's really uh more on a, a broader level, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Uh, so on an individual level, I, it's funny, this came up on my Sunday night calls earlier this week, but people, if anyone's listening and they aren't an entrepreneur, if you are, you're going to be like, oh my God, preach, you know what you're talking <laughs> about. But if you have, if you love someone, know someone, you respect someone in your life who is a content creator in any way, and they do that as part of their content marketing in order to put themselves out there to the world, support their content. Don't just like it, comment on it. If you can share it, share it. Like refer, send their message out, give them a platform, heighten and amplify their voice. There are so, I wish all of our family members and friends of entrepreneurs got little like handbooks and manuals on what they're yeah. supposed to do. And I coach myself on this too, because I, I don't need anyone specific in my life to support me in a specific way. That's my 
those are my thoughts and feelings. And I coach myself on them to manage what my expectations are, to understand that other people who aren't in this line of work, aren't going to get it. You know, my mom, for example, my mom's not on LinkedIn. She's never going to like and comment on one of my LinkedIn posts. She's not even on there. And I'm totally okay with that, but really recognizing that it's something super small, probably for you, but it can mean a lot to extending another woman's reach that you're, you have a lot of agency in, in helping someone get clients that you might not even realize, but just by liking and commenting and sharing the message. So that's my practical tip. My before you go on, I want to yes. tell you you've hit you've hit hit a heart like a I don't even know the word I'm looking for. You for the I'm speechless for the first time in my <laughs> 54 years. Um that is my like I'm about to cry because I promote other women day and night, left and right, up and down, in and out, all day till the cows come home. And when I have an event that I'm like this, this empowered women's event that I'm hosting in April, all I ask is for people to comment. Now they don't understand LinkedIn algorithms and all right. that, but how much effort does it take to like or comment? I don't, I mean, it really opens up that opportunity for all these women that I'm sponsoring in this this uh, virtual event and next year in the in-person, they're usually on stage, but this year it's virtual for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. How much trouble is that? Can you at least do that? And it just irks me and it hurts me. It really hurts me when I go back and I see a post that I've made and has two likes on it mm -hmm. after a week. And I'm like, and look, I don't want to play victim. I'm My amygdala is fully developed, right? <laughs> So, um, but when you said that, I was like, no one's ever said that. And that is, I mean, I daily, I go look at my LinkedIn and I'm like, what is wrong with people? I mean, maybe they don't know what you just said. So thank you for sharing that publicly. And now everybody knows how I feel about that. So good. We'll, we'll edit this or we'll suck out this, this audio clip and we'll make a little mini video and we'll share it on, you on, know what? on social media. I have a team of people who do that kind of stuff. If you want to create a little best practices video, one to two minutes on how to promote your sisters on LinkedIn, um, that would be great. Um, I would be happy to share it to my 16,000 followers, but I don't know if anybody will comment <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. I would love to do that. I, I've been, I almost did um, like a, what to get your solopreneur what's, or what to get the entrepreneur in your life. Um, yeah post for Christmas. Um, and, or we can do it for Valentine's day or whatever, but yeah. it, it's this concept, right. Of please oh. don't buy me stuff. Like, please just like, and comment on, on my content. I put a lot of, I know you do too. We put so much thought into, into it. And it really does make a difference when other people engage with our work. Lift. You, you say lift other women, do it, show me, don't tell. You know, my husband always jokes and, and says, well, maybe some of your friends are like, I told you I love you when I met you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'm like, I no. would never have friends like that. I wouldn't marry a man like that. I wouldn't, you know. Correct. He's like, apparently you do. 
you're mistaken, right? Right, right, right. You're so awesome. Let me just tell you, Olivia, you're one of the most amazing people I've never met before. And I'm going to make an effort when I'm out in your neck of the woods. And I do get out there. So um, awesome. We're going to go have a glass of that alcohol you've never had. And ever. uh, yeah, and maybe some coffee the next day. But here's the point in my show where I, I, I engage in what's called the wild card question. And I never tell my guests before what the question is. And I don't okay. even know the question. Uh, are you game? Which is a stupid question. I'm sure you're going to say yes. But are you game for the wild card question? Bring it. All right. So I have a box of 144 questions. Oh, wow. I know, right? I've been a busy, busy bee. And so, square. Oh, wow, I'm a math nerd. Deep and meaningful, challenging. Others are kind of, you know, light and silly and whatever. But okay. the fun part is you don't know what it is. And I don't know what it is. So let me get, I, I should get some theme music. Um, we can't use Jeopardy. No. And that's what comes to mind. Every <laughs> Poor Alex. I miss Alex. All right. You me ready? Too. Yes. This is a fun one. This will be so easy for you. All right. What is a quote from a movie that you love? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm in my office and there's a huge picture of Michael Corleone shooting Salazzo. That's what I'm staring <laughs> at right now. So I feel like we have to go with The Godfather. I would imagine you would pick that. Yep. I feel like we have to go with The Godfather. And people can't watch it with me anymore because I recite the entire first one by heart. So I'm really annoying. That's the only one, really. Oh, is it? Well, two was okay, but three was awful. Three was awful. Um, I know my quote from that movie. Okay. Mine. I probably quote this one the most. It's from part two. And it's this is the business we've chosen. Oh, interesting. Hi, so I would, that's perfect for what you do and for being the less stressed lawyer and, you know, for reminding your clients, this is the, the fact that you say our lives are full of the choices we've made. That's perfect. That quote fits nicely in there. Comes full circle. Totally, totally. Well, you, my friend, are a, a remarkable woman. I have enjoyed this. I've laughed so much. My cheeks are burning and I've had tears, <laughs> tears come out of my eyes. Um, it's a good thing we're not on video, but I've enjoyed it. And, and you can come back anytime. You have been amazing. Oh, it would... I would love to set up a little time with um, my videographer and do a little quick clip on best practices for supporting other women. Let's do it. All right. Well, thank you, less stressed lawyer. You're awesome. And thank you for listening. If folks want to reach you, Olivia, how do they do that? Two ways. Number one, my website, thelessstresslawyer.com or go check me out on LinkedIn. All of my original content gets created there first. So that's where I publish the most stuff. That's where you can learn the most from me. Would you ever consider putting all that into a book of, you know, a well-oiled machine, the less stressed lawyers, best tips and tips? And... I like that. I've always wanted to write a book. So I think that's a yes. All right. Well, I'm going to help you make that happen. All right. All right, folks. Have a good evening. Take care. Bye-bye.